Sutra 17 By cultivating attitudes of friendliness towards the happy, compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard towards the wicked, the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calmness. You'll know when something is evil, if it attacks without being provoked. And so I wonder, in order to maintain peace upon earth, how must the righteous face the wickedness and defend against the evil which revolts? When I first touched Windhorse's reins, I understood that many other horse riders had a similar connection which allowed them to bloom like a flower. The Holy Spirit was linked with many people, but so often the ego can hold our spirit captive, which makes an individual believe that they alone are capable of superpowers. In an effort to understand the power of spirit versus the power of man, I found that I relied upon methods and tools. Sometimes I needed yoga or silence, but this time I needed divination. I'd come to collect various card decks, which ranged from oracles to tarot, and so these became a means to communicate with spirit, and so I'd ask questions or consider where the cards would tell me to go. These cards became like a map, and so I discovered that tarot was a pictorial representation of the forces of nature as conceived by the ancients. In essence, tarot was like a path to help a spiritual seeker understand the various pitfalls, promises, and attainments. The first 22 cards in a tarot deck are the major arcana, which represent the universal human experience, ranging from falling in love, authority, and difficult news. These major cards carry the most important aspects of our existence and all its variances. After the major cards are the minor arcana, which are split into four categories, wands, cups, swords, and pentacles. The four suits begin with ten cards, each as they map a path or trajectory. The idea is that to become the one, or the magician, a fool must depart upon a spiritual mission, to let go of life as we were taught, and to dive into self-mastery without asking for anyone's permission. Each of the four suits of the minor arcana act like a ladder, and so to attain a pentacle, cup, sword, or wand, you must ascend through the ten steps. Each set of suits is like a pathway which the seeker can use the cards to understand what could be coming next. The cards are merely used for reflection and contemplation, and so they act much like a mirror. It helps people understand the process of spiritual growth so that the spiritual seeker doesn't get lost when things become tough, and this makes the path much clearer. With the threads from Windhorse and tarot cards in hand, I hopped aboard the train where the passengers had grown in number. It was the celebration of the New Year, and so they called it the Masquerade of Wonders. With tarot cards and candles, I found a seat at the back of the train. Hundreds of people had gathered, but after an hour or so, I began to wonder if our effort was in vain. A handful of people were interested in divination, and so various people found the courage to approach. 
Many others preferred alcohol, music, and to engage in the life of the party. I was like them in some ways, since I was a human spirit and I could not quite shake off my own desires. But now the root of my life was tied into a spiritual connection, since I realized we all can hold the reins to Windhorse, which is where our connection to God transpires. When it comes to spiritual matters, I realize that many do not take it seriously. All the while, I wanted to help people along the path, but I could not force anyone, and so that was the night's mystery. To understand tarot is to look at life's promises and pitfalls, but upon this night, everyone was keen on indolence as they counted down while the world dropped the ball. We dropped the ball because we were misguided. We lived as if life was something we owned. Humanity would rather be distracted and entertained, and for so many people, the spiritual path was postponed. To weave people back into God means that we have been disconnected from the spiritual source. We have to rejoin our own individual connection back to spirit first, which happens through the reins of wind horse. There were some who were on the path, and some who reclaimed their connection back to God, but it was not up to me to judge those who didn't, or even claim which religion might have had flaws. As I was excited to share about my experiences, I wondered why so few took us seriously. Surely many had been to church and prayed to God, but then why did the confused world live in such perplexing mystery? On Friday, people could be doing cocaine, then Sunday they might come to church. It's a violent cycle of suffering, and why don't they realize these ups and downs drive the inner nature absurd? Very soon I realized there was no use in preaching. I was not trying to spread any religion or individual teaching. Rather, I wanted to share this connection, and I wanted all others to be protected by the life force of the wind, for this was the Holy Spirit, and as long as we were tied into this, then we were connected deep within. O Holy Spirit, I know that you are the truth, but how come there are so many that have lost their connection to you? How should I address this world when I am not in control of any other human? I wish to share the purity of the Holy Spirit. I wish to bring all beings back home into eternal union. All you can do for another person is be an environment in which, if they wanted to come up for air, they could. By cultivating attitudes of friendliness towards the happy, compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard towards the wicked, the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calmness," said Windhorse. With this thread and link, I began to build a life. As if I looked down upon a movie where I lived as a separate being, I looked out as if I had extended sight. And for those who carried this thread, we weaved a certain web. Like a spider sewing the stars together, we could weave a specific line before the body would someday be dead. Today I felt alive, but was life a distant dream? The past was a memory, but if I focus my awareness, I could understand what all of these past moments had come to mean. The link to God was my life, embodied in a breath behind the soul. It was a fire that kept me lit. It was our spiritual spark connected back to an infinite whole. 
Each of us have a soul to ride upon, and so we are connected by a single thread. This brings us back to life even after we discover our body will someday be dead. In this last life, I could not remember myself carrying the reins, but now after death, I had gained perspective and I could see it was happening from a different lens. With vision into my last life, there was truth I couldn't quite see. I realized every experience could be articulated like four different locks, and while carrying these sutras, I realized how we can set our higher self free. The seer within hands us four keys, friendliness, compassion, delight, and disregard. There I saw the four locks in the world, the happy people, the unhappy people, the virtuous, and the wicked. At any given moment, I could use one of the keys, friendliness, compassion, delight, and disregard, into any situation, and I could open the lock and live free. When we find happy people, we use friendliness as the key. Oh fortunate people, if everyone was like that, then how happy would the whole world be? May God bless everyone to have such comfort. May we all have that one day. Make these people our friends. That response is missed in many cases, not only between individuals, but even among nations. When some nation is prospering, the neighboring country might be jealous and want to ruin its economy. But we should always have the key of friendliness when we see happy people. And what of the next lock, the unhappy people? Well, some might say that these people have their own karma or consequences from their actions. They must have done something wretched in their past. Some might even think that we should let them suffer, but that should not be our attitude. Maybe they are suffering from previous bad karma, but we should have compassion. If you can lend a helping hand, do it. If you can share half of your loaf, share it. Be merciful always. By doing that, you will retain the peace and poise of your mind. Remember our goal is to keep the serenity of our minds. Whether our mercy is going to help others or not, by our own feeling of mercy, at least we have helped. Then comes the third kind, the virtuous people. When you see virtuous people, we should feel delighted. Oh, they are great. They must be our heroes. We should imitate their great qualities. Don't envy them. Don't try to pull them down. Appreciate the virtuous qualities in them and try to cultivate these attitudes in our own lives. And lastly, the key for the wicked. We come across wicked people sometimes. We can't deny that. So what should be our attitude? Indifference. Well, some people are just like that. Probably I was like that yesterday. Am I not a better person now? They will probably be alright tomorrow. We shouldn't try to advise such people, because wicked people seldom take advice. If you try to advise them, you will lose your peace. As I looked back at my last life, after this time that I had died, why I could view all the moments I used one of these four keys to unlock a situation, and these were the times I felt most alive. I would use the keys to open a situation with someone who appeared in my path. But this was not about me, it was a connection back to Windhorse, and this was all of our opportunities to get freed. 
Although I didn't always embody it in my past lives, I now saw how my intuitive nature would guide me as I grew. The past life was like a blind journey, and after death, the vision seemed so real, vibrant, and new. The thread of life was within us, and I could see myself sowing the spirit through all sorts of new life. It didn't matter if the situation was good, bad, or if I was happy or sad. The thread was so strong that it couldn't be burned by fire or cut with a knife. In my past, when I approached the age of 28, I began to travel the globe. Now looking back, I saw how this thread of life moved rapidly as if my soul was being sown. Weaving through different lands, I connected with all sorts of people and cultures. From one place to another, I created many bonds that were tied into an upcoming future. I cannot truly know destiny, nor should I comment on fate, but the connections I made began to pull me, and there I sensed a great deal of weight. Not right or wrong, not good or bad. The more connections and travels I endured, I was tied into the load that Windhorse had. For the people of the world were threaded into us, and now I'd made connections into all of them. And so we were tied into this together. Slowly but surely, we were moving forward in unison. All these unique and personal connections were tied back through the loving awareness behind the mind. And so if my awareness focused upon a place, person, or thing, there were all sorts of realizations I could find. This was the first time I didn't see myself as a body, but rather energy like a thread. This was what was woven through the world, and it was one long string of the soul after our bodies would be dead. Now that the body was gone, there was so much I could see. Why this spiritual thread was eternal, and this was the pathway to help all beings become freed. There was a moment back upon earth where I touched this noble idea, something called a bodhisattva vow, a pathway to help the entire world discover liberation and freedom. There I saw myself sitting in a forest, over by the angel oak. I carried a book titled Buddha Scriptures when the wind pushed the pages open before my eyes read as my voice spoke. I read it three times in a row, just as the pages explained, and from that day on, I was no longer in charge of my body, but rather I had taken hold of Windhorse's reins. It felt like a difficult but real calling, as I'd faced a choice upon a selfless or selfish path. At the time, I did not know why I agreed to such an idea, because it seemed like quite the heavy task. Up until then, you could say my spiritual identity was still clouded and lost. I lived out of my ego structures, but with new insight, I could use various keys to unlock difficult situations which appeared like various type of locks. A life that was once comprised of living from survival and individual needs was being transformed under the Bodhisattva vow. Why this was a path so that all beings could be freed, and it was happening here and now. The vow set off a chain reaction, and now I was connected to a bigger plan that was set in motion. And rather than living for my own needs, the spiritual thread directed my essence to where the eternal knot was woven. I could barely explain how it was happening, 
since I seemed to wander beyond my bodily control. I sensed the intuition led me because I believed I was now being directed by her spiritual soul. All sorts of odd behaviors came out. Maybe I'd describe it like walking in a dream. I'd get a hunch and I'd go for it, and then the spiritual thread would push me into all kinds of extremes. Job after job, state to state, I'd be traveling through all different companies and even into arsenals within a military base. The spirit would pull, and somehow I'd go. I was always trying to listen, but I was getting pulled quickly within the spiritual flow. My body would sometimes fight, and so my ego would resist. Neurotic behavior would emerge simply because I was too attached to the things I once missed. That old life was present, and at the time, I was still in the same body. I could even remember most of the past, yet my spiritual soul felt as if my form was recently re-embodied. Had I been born again? I could see how much it mattered if we were tied into the eternal knot. We did not want to sow seams of anger and aggression, otherwise we would end up twisted and caught. And so we needed to surrender, and this became forceful work. It didn't matter how I personally felt about the matter either, why oftentimes I thought I lost my mind and had gone berserk. As Windhorse pulled me, I knew something bigger was in control. This led me to use my life as if it was a vehicle, which in turn carried a spark of our spiritual soul. My brain was still wired from the past, and so there were many impressions in my mental state that I could not quite pass. And when I was pressed or stressed too hard, the old patterns would be released, and so I would contract. This is when I would grasp. There I'd cling and attach, but somehow I was still weaving the thread of Windhorse, no matter if my behavior and intentions seemed mismatched. This is when I realized I could speak with the Great Spirit, and that Holy Spirit had been listening at every moment through time. How else do you think we could have written a set of stories that has a certain rhythm while it rhymes? For it was not I. How could this be me? The Great Spirit dances through our lungs, into our fingers, and it invigorates us through our bloodstream. O oh, Great Spirit, since I just realized you were listening all along, can you help me understand why at times my behavior is lacking, or why I behave in the wrong? You're my Hostine Coyote. You're the magician who is skilled at sleight of hand. In other words, a trickster. You cannot act for yourself since you're tied into a divine plan. You have the body, emotions, and mind, but you're threaded back to wind horse. You can navigate your attitudes and how you're feeling, but now I'm in charge of our course. You may even get upset. You may even kick and scream. Or you can ride upon my back and flow the same way the current is guided within the stream. The most well-known trickster in Native American lore is the coyote. The Hostine Coyote is known to various tribes and brought fire to humanity, the same way Prometheus did in Greek mythology. The Coyote is similar to the Norse god Loki in temperament. Everything and nothing is sacred, therefore everything and nothing is equally important to him. To be granted a wish by the Hostine Coyote is at best dubious. 
Be careful in choosing an object of the wish. You are liable to get it, though not as you may have envisioned. People may come and seek things from you through various encounters, but whenever they interact with the coyote, they are making a relation into Wind Horse's power. The Hostein coyote is pictured with four keys. First, the fire in the right hand, as this is a gift to humanity to illuminate the way in the night. Then a pipe in the left hand, and nearby is the ashtray made of the yak bone. Keeping Loki's temperament in mind, it can be assumed there is a hallucinogenic or herb in the pipe. Therefore, the coyote's perspective may not be clearly focused, and the coyote's influence ranges from the lush green of the Buffalo Plains to the majestic purple mountains of the Rockies. These aspects of character are attributed to the planet Mercury, the god who bears the wand. The essence of this card is action in all forms and phases, the electric charge of constant creation. Being creative, the trickster has no conscience. If fair means fail, then he uses foul. The legends of the coyote, Loki, and Mercury are myths that are cunning. They do not operate on the intellectual level. They use the unconscious will, said Windhorse. And so I began to understand that Windhorse used me in all sorts of odd and maddening situations to weave the eternal knot and what might appear as messy to humanity was carefully crafted like a spider's web. It was woven through both living and those who were dead. The points of joining were like various holding points of anchors. Windhorse's reins were carefully woven through all of humanity in various bends, connections, and angles. Will you go into the darkness to tap into your deepest power of manifestation? It is time to grow. And so I predict we must venture into a new exploration," said Windhorse. Now it was time to pay attention to messages, visions, and signs. The universal laws that govern spoke of unending fields of potential that can be accessed. Some may think of this as magic or universal energy, but it doesn't matter what it's called. The energy of the soul urged me to start creating. The wind flew up to Windhorse who is riding high in the heavens. Why, yes, all the air speaks, because Windhorse has sent them. I acknowledge my own higher connection. I am a powerful channel. I spoke to the clouds. Reality was like a tapestry, and those believers were the weavers. Each held a thread with wisdom to spread. I began to understand that I could not weave this thread into another person who was not willing to receive her. I could not change or affect other people's faiths or beliefs. I simply thought of myself as air that a drowning person might seek for relief. The way water slips through the cracks, or the way a snake might slither about. Something within me guided the body, and I believed it was the thread that pulled me upon the best route. This led me to interact with the world in unusual ways, as if I was tied into the weather I would change depending on the temperament of the day. My feelings began to blur as we'd switch between full moon, sun, heat, or rain. It wasn't always pain, but my spirit retained the elements around me in ways I could only call strange. Like a joker, I felt like a unique card in a playing pack. Wherever Windhorse needed, she'd throw me into the universe 
and from there her vision is something I began to attract. And as for the introduction into weaving, the thread must go up and down, a sort of high and low, over then below. This is the basis of how anything is sewn. And since life is a work of art, the weaving becomes the experiences we go through. This is the highs and lows, the good and bad, eccentric or wild, happy and sad. And these peaks and valleys create a mesh or a space where energy flows. Most people only seek the positives. We seem to crave the high moments of life, as if nothing will bring us down. We do anything and everything to avoid struggles or strife. But what a weaver knows is that the highs and lows are guaranteed. And so I rested in this loving awareness, knowing all things would change. And this allowed me to move as if my path was freed. I favored action, and so I would sew wherever my body would go. It didn't matter who or what situation I encountered. This journey seemed to take me to the highest heights and the lowest lows. And by enduring this, a beautiful tapestry began to take shape. Personally, I was focused on guiding each thread ahead, but this tapestry created a sacred place. Before I knew it, silk was everywhere. It hung above and below. This sacred space brought me back to the magic of nowness, and this sacred space is where I could finally trust in letting go. This space was like a shrine, or a room for intimate prayer. I didn't know what I was doing when I hung these silk threads, but the more it came together, the more magic would appear. Out of nowhere I'd get fired from a job, only to stumble into a situation when the next job would emerge. It was as if these highs and lows pushed creative energy forward, but I wasn't certain if it was I who was in charge. This became quite the burden with my careers and jobs, and I didn't find ease in this process of constant change. I could barely hold on to my own energy because the process of weaving meant I was involved in so much change. Just as I felt solid and grounded, something would collapse and shift. The highs and lows kept coming. Was this Murphy's Law, or were these upheavals a secret gift? Whatever direction I had for my life, I simply had to let go. The path I had found myself upon was not somewhere I had ever thought I would go. The truth is, most of us discover where we are heading when we arrive. Every breath in I was reborn, then every breath out I would die. The thread would descend into the darkness to loop around a person, group, or community. Then a moment later, the thread would connect with a new person and we'd be tied into unity. Again and again, I would sink. Then I would resurface with a new lesson. Often I'd descend into feelings of tragedy, only to head upward and see that the suffering was in fact a blessing. From job to job, city to city, the weaving was endless and I was moving too fast to ever feel pity. The surreal coincidences wouldn't end, and every situation was like a lock. Luckily, I remembered I had four special keys. Friendliness, compassion, delight, and disregard. And right as I approached a new gateway or door, I'd start off with a knock. First, I'd check if anyone was home. Maybe they'd welcome me in. I weaved the spiritual thread through as many people and places as I could to help these people get out of the ego's prison. 
Now sometimes people smiled at me. Other times people wouldn't open their doors. The rich seemed to be confused why I'd give up all my material things and live a life that made me poor. But I wasn't concerned with material things. I was focused on sewing and weaving threads. These souls were trapped within a body, but I discovered what it was already like to be dead. Whatever would happen, I tried to cultivate an attitude of friendliness towards the happy, compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard towards the wicked. And that way, my mind retained its undisturbed calmness. Or, undisturbed calmness is retained by the controlled exhalation or attention of the breath, said Windhorse. Here she talked about pranayama, or the control of movement of prana, which we experience as our breathing. You can begin with a deep exhalation, then watch the breath come in and out slowly. The force that moves upward is the prana, or wind horse. Then the force that moves downward is the apana. This is the way we gallop. The aim is to bring together the prana and apana, which is an equilibrium of these two forces. The two opposites are blended together in a gentle way. This brings peace to the mind. Just watch and regulate the breath. Remember that the mind and the wind horse, or breathing, have close connections. As the saints say, where the mind goes, the prana follows and flows. We can see it in our daily life. If your mind is agitated, you will be breathing heavily. That means if you regulate the breathing, you regulate the mind automatically also. That's why, whenever you are agitated, worried, or puzzled, you should take a few deep breaths, putting your entire mind on the breath. Within a few moments, you may find that the mind is completely serene. It's a very useful hint for our daily lives. Suppose, all of a sudden, you are getting into a fit of anger. Take a few deep breaths, watch the breath, and the anger should fade away. Whatever agitation in the mind, regulating the breath will help. Or, the concentration on subtle sense perceptions can cause steadiness of the mind. At certain points during the initial practice of concentration, various extraordinary sense perceptions occur. They themselves could be helpful objects for further concentration to make the mind steady. If you practice yoga and do not see any benefit, you might lose interest and begin to doubt its efficiency. So to make yourself more confident, you can concentrate on the extraordinary sense perceptions that come after some continuous practice. In the way you understand that you're progressing in one-pointedness, it is something like a litmus paper test. One example is to concentrate on the tip of the nose. Do not strain or you could cause a headache. Do not actually stare at the nose. It's as if you're looking past it. Keep the mind on that. If the mind is really one-pointed, after some time, you will experience an extraordinary smell. You may even look around to see if there's any flower or perfume nearby. If that experience comes, it is a proof that you have made the mind one-pointed. It will give you confidence, but in itself, it will not help you reach the goal. It's just a test, that's all. Don't make concentrating on the nose and getting nice smells your goal. Another example is to put your mind on the tip of the tongue. If the concentration is deep enough, you'll get a nice taste without eating anything. If you do not get it, you still have a ways to go. 
There are many suggestions like that. Concentrate on your palate, or on the middle or back part of the tongue, or on the throat region, and you'll get certain other extraordinary experiences. Those experiences will give you confidence and make you feel that you are on the way. They are useful only for that. Or, your mind can find undisturbed calmness by concentrating on the supreme, ever-blissful light of the soul within. Here you can imagine a brilliant divine light which is beyond all anxieties, fear, and worry. A supreme light that is within you. Visualize a brilliant globe in your heart representing your divine consciousness. Or, imagine your heart to contain a beautiful glowing lotus. The mind will easily get absorbed into that, and you will have a nice experience. In the beginning, one has to imagine this light, which later becomes their reality. Or, your mind can find undisturbed calmness by concentrating on a great soul's mind, which is totally free from attachment to sense objects. Many people do not have much confidence in their own hearts. They think, Oh, how could I have such a wonderful heart with all this rubbish in my life? In that case, you can think of the heart of a noble person, like Mother Teresa, Muhammad, Jesus, Krishna, Buddha, Tara, Saraswati, or any other great beings to walk this earth. Meditate on a heart that has given up all attachments to sense objects, or on a heart that has realized the goal. If you can't imagine that your heart is full of light, at least you can imagine it in his or her heart. The mind should be allowed to dwell on something high, something serene. That is the main idea. Or, the mind can find undisturbed calmness by concentrating on an experience had during deep sleep or within dreams. Sometimes when we sleep, we have dreams of divine beings or feel we are elevated to a higher plane. If you have such dreams, remember them and let your mind dwell on those memories. It will also be the same serenity and one-pointedness. Or, if you have not had any dream like that, imagine the peace of deep sleep. Everyone has gone into a very peaceful state when they have slept. Of course, you are not conscious at that time, but when you wake up, you say, Oh, I slept very soundly. Imagine that peace. Sleep itself is tamasic, or inert, so you should imagine the peace of that sleep, not the sleep itself. If you start imagining the sleep itself, you know where you will go. But of course, all living beings are separate in nature, and not everyone will listen to this. Or, the mind can find undisturbed calmness by meditating on anything one chooses that is elevating, said Windhorse. Now of course I obeyed Windhorse, but why should anyone else? What if the people around us don't have faith? What should we do to help them then? Well, unfortunately it is up to them, but there is the advantage of having a teacher or priest. Instead of trying this and that and wasting your time, you can ask a teacher who knows the way. Otherwise, it will be like driving in Manhattan. Suppose I wanted to go to 96th Street from 84th Street. I might go downtown, roam around, and waste the whole day. Instead, if I just ask somebody where it is, I'll get the directions and go directly there. That is how a teacher helps you find the way. He or she can give you the right way easily. A teacher also gives you his or her blessings, 
which are even more important because they give you momentum. Normally, our batteries are weak, but a teacher's battery is fully charged, so he or she brings the car close to yours and uses a jumper cable, puts a little current in your battery, and you go ahead. That is the sort of help we get from a teacher or priest. But of course, you can crank yourself and put a little current into your own battery. There is more than one way to jumpstart your soul. Gradually, once mastery and concentration extends from the primal atom to the greatest magnitude, that means you can attract the entire universe, from the tiniest atom to the unlimited vastness. There is nothing that is unknowable by you. You can attract anything and everything by the meditations explained in the previous sutras. It is only if one achieves that meditation that he or she becomes a yogi, not just a person who sits for a while in the name of meditation and then goes to the movies. No. Once you have established yourself in deep meditation, using any one of the foregoing methods or anything selected by you, and have gained mastery over the mind, nothing is difficult for you to meditate upon. It is simply for you to choose on what to meditate, from a tiny atom to the entire universe," said Windhorse. And so I found a seat. Then came a black cat. Forgiveness and I waited when we came to meditate as we simply sat. Tomorrow, I will continue to be, but you will have to be very attentive to see me. I will be like a flower or a leaf. I will be in these forms and I will say hello to you. If you are attentive enough, you will recognize me and you may greet me, and I will be very happy," said Forgiveness. <laughs>